to today's episode of Exceptional Advice. So, uh, T-Wood, what are we talking about today? So, today we're going to kind of do, it's almost a part two of uh, one of the previous episodes we, we did recently. So, we, we talked about how to get the most out of your team. Um, and one of the things we didn't really get to explore in that episode was being explicit, but in particular with regards to your clients. Um, so, that'll kind of be our starting point, um, and we can just kind of explore and see where it goes. Cool. Just as you were talking about it, I had this kind of whole train of thought come to me. You know, life is is really the journey towards finding out who you are and how to be yourself. And one of the things I love about advice is that, and you'll hear me talk about this all the time, in order to be a better advisor, you have to be better yourself. So the journey of self-awareness is really the journey to becoming the best advisor you can be. So being explicit, what does that what does that actually mean? So we're going to talk about being explicit with clients today. But what does being explicit actually mean? So in the context we're using it, what do you think it means, Tristan? Loads of swearing. No. Um <laughs> for the most part I think it's just making sure that you're 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 clear um, with whatever it is you're trying to get across to whoever it is you're trying to get it across to and making sure that you've kind of filled in all the context gaps that you can to make sure that people get the right understanding of, you know, what you're actually conveying to them. Okay, I think that's a pretty succinct, can I even say that? Succinct definition. Uh, you could make some tongue twisters out of that one. <laughs> um, I'm going to go a little deeper because obviously everything we talk about here has, you know, a nuance of philosophy behind it, right? A nuance of decades of trying to figure out how to be a better advisor and give better advice, certainly on my part. And uh, the beauty of my role is that I'm an advisor to other advisors. So one of the things I love, love the most about that is I get to spend literally anywhere between, you know, 20 to 40 hours a week talking to other advisors so i also get to learn from all of their experience which kind of accelerates my own that's really cool so the thing about being explicit i think i, I kind of want to set the scene on it in a couple of different ways because in order to understand how important it is and the real depth of nuance in it i think we need to talk about the opposite side of the coin that we're using it in regards to and that is implicit yeah so or implied so i think so much of the communication that goes on between an advisor and their client is implied so much of the thinking about things the value perception the you know the processing of issues is implied and the problem with implied is, and I kind of explain it this way, you've got your subconscious and your conscious, right? This is a pretty simple explanation yep. for something that's obviously very complex, but it'll help you to really grasp it, I, I hope. Implied, let's call that subconscious. So it's things you know about, but you haven't cemented in your conscious mind because you've never articulated them out loud. You know, they're random thoughts that have gone through your head. The problem with the random thoughts that, you know, are going on in the background is they're jumbled in with everything else. 
So you've got subconscious fears, you've got subconscious drivers, you've got the subconscious dis, you know, distillation of your concepts and where you're at. And, you know, a lot of people talk about that's what dreams are. So, but then there's a big difference between those things moving from, hey, yeah, I kind of always knew that to I've said it out loud or it's been said out loud. And so the problem is with this is that, I mean, that is a major issue internally because everything that stops you from getting through the next step to get to where you want to be in life is going to be a self-created obstacle, right? Because you can always solve anything. I mean, if one pathway, you know, doesn't, isn't viable, then there's another pathway. So they always have to be self-imposed. And that self-imposition is always, in, in my mind, a result of, you know, conflicted internal context. Can't be done or different belief patterns or whatever it might be. And one of the best ways to, to kind of deal with that is to take all of those implied things, whether they're fears or aspirations or admissions about what the real issues are, and make them explicit. So it's a big enough deal internally for a person that's and really so there's two sides of this this coin i'm i promise i'm going somewhere here so one side is an advisor's role is to help that client become explicit with themselves Mm. so it's not just about you being explicit with a client but your key role is to get them to be explicit with themselves this is the greatest value that i promise anyone in an advice position can give Sure, you can be giving good advice that's technical advice in your denomination. So, you know, if you're a financial advisor and, you know, you've come up with the best financial structuring that isn't going to create any more risk and it's going to save the client, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Okay, awesome. But is that in most cases, except the like very, very few, is that actually going to change their life? I mean, often making already wealthy people more money doesn't actually make their life better at all. So I'm trying to draw a line again for the idea of this show, what's exceptional advice. And we've talked about this and we're always going to talk about it. That's the point of the conversation. Good advice, great advice. And what's the gap then to exceptional advice? Well, to me, exceptional advice, a big part of that is you helping your client become explicit with themselves right? You do that, you can change their life. You can help them to understand how they're in their own way, how to take the action to get exactly where they need to be, how to make a better framework for decision making, you know, all of those things. But the second part of that is if it's a big enough deal internally, well, now we've got two people in the advice client relationship, right? You've got the advisor and you've got the client. that exponentially increases the complexity of issues, right? So you've got two people engaging together. All right, so for most of you out there, it's not just going to be one client. So if you're a financial advisor, then it's usually husband and wife, right? Or, or a couple in a partnership. If you're an accountant and you're in business advisory, then there's gonna be multiple partners in a business. 
So now you're scaling the issues that are in the way of you getting your client to be explicit with themselves and then getting them to make a decision and take action that actually creates value and moves them forward on the pathway they're choosing to go on. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Just yep. bouncing off you. Did I did I kind of bring that bring that around? No, yeah, making sense. So I guess the point, you know, you brought it up and I wanted to kind of dive into what does this mean? Well, first of all, it's about getting your clients to go from implied to explicit about their fears, what they really want in life, what their relationships are really like, the pain that they're holding on to that's blocking bad choices, why they have particular views that might limit them from making sound logical choices. But I think, and I think the core crux of what we're talking about today wasn't just that component, but the bit about are you as an advisor also being explicit, one, with yourself and two, with the client when it comes to the relationship. So what's some of the areas we might want to explore to kind of help people really take an objective viewpoint about this and ask themselves the question, are they being explicit enough with their clients? Have you got some ideas? Um, so one, one of the things that just came to mind was, um, estate planning. So we, we've kind of mentioned it before, but we haven't really dived into it, but it's one of those areas where a lot of stuff can pop up. That's very unexpected. Um, so when, when we, we talk about it with, with some clients that do a bit of, a bit of estate planning work, you know, they, they always get a bit of a, a bit of a smirk on their face when we, you know, we start talking about, oh, you know, it can get a bit complicated sometimes as family issues and almost all the time, everyone has them, you know, like it, it's almost that thing of it. Being, yeah. Families are complicated. Yeah. Out of sight, out of mind. Everyone, er, everyone's family's perfect, but, oh, but not mine. Cause I know what issues are going on in mine, but as soon as you explore it, everything pops out and then there's, there's just so much below the surface. Okay. So. So let's kind of delve into that as an example. Um, you know, ideally most of the episodes and certainly this episode is designed to be for anyone that gives advice. So we, we always give examples across denominations. So if you're in the accounting and financial advice space, then, you know, helping your clients with their estate planning should be a major priority. I know most of the professionals I come across kind of do it to a surface level. The exceptional ones really go deep on it. Um, and certainly the the ones giving exceptional advice understand that most of it's not about the financial aspects, but about helping families resolve their issues. You know, I always say this to people. And, you know, going back, going back, I've given a lot of estate planning advice to people as well in, you know, previous iterations of my advice journey. There's two ways that you can protect your family and make sure that you're leaving behind the best legacy you can to the people that you care about. So one of them, and that's what most people focus on, is the legal aspects, the legal and financial aspects. So I guess there's actually two sides to that. There's the legal and there's the financial. So if you just go and see you know, a lawyer, they might help you put a structure in place 
that doesn't always take into account how to best plan out the assets ahead of time and how to structure how those assets might integrate with an estate. Um, of course, I know some exceptional lawyers that cover all of those avenues, and we're going to have we're going to have one of those on the show pretty soon. So you're doing that, but you can put the best will in place with the greatest, you know, strategies around the financial assets. But that's only half of the equation, and it's actually, in my mind, not the piece of the equation you should be focused on first. So the other way to protect your family and to make sure that you're passing on the legacy that that is optimal, you're taking care of business. You're taking care of your responsibility not to leave behind a mess for the people that you care about. This is, this is what this was really about. And that is to actually make sure that everyone knows what you want. Make sure that everyone's on the same page. So if you've got the best will in place, but then you leave behind a mess of conflicted context between your family members, that's what causes things to blow up. You know, that's what causes fights to happen and disputes and, you know, legal matters that can end up destroying not only the financial assets, but more importantly, the relationships between the people in your life. And if you haven't dealt with those in your life, if you haven't prepared yourself for this, then you're not only carrying baggage with you right now today, you're causing baggage for the people you care about, but you're going to leave behind a hell of a lot more of a mess. So, I mean, this is a topic we're going to go into a lot more detail on because I just think it's such an under, an undertapped area for exceptional advice. Family relationships, that's what estate planning is about because it's not about the estate, it's about the legacy, it's about the relationships, it's about cleaning up the messes in your life. So yeah, as you were saying Tristan, almost every family that you know I've ever had this conversation with, once you start scratching the shiny surface, yeah, everything's great, we love our kids, you know, everything's fine. Once you start scratching and you start digging in, there's issues. There's unresolved disputes, arguments, details about money, and it becomes almost impossible for that family to clean it up objectively on their own. Like it literally is for almost every family. So if you can come into this, and have an explicit conversation with your clients or what I call an interventional conversation. You can actually dig into it, scratch off the shiny surface, dig into those things, open them up with the right questions, but then help them to become explicit with each other and resolve these issues and have them talked about and be the objective third party to negotiate a pathway forward then this is absolutely invaluable and families will pay dollars to do this like serious dollars and it will change their life it will change their life much more than the monetary aspects so i think that's a good area as an example of all of the ways that 
you know, being explicit and helping your clients to be explicit is important. But I'm going to, I'm going to take this and I, and I want to delve into, to kind of one of the things that, or one of the ways that I'd express this. And that is, you know, really the journey to becoming an exceptional advisor is the journey to being one that's radically honest. Or I heard this term a couple of years ago now and it, you know, it was coined there for a while, radical candor, right? So being direct with people and I just think it's missing and it's certainly missing in a professional environment. We leave things unsaid. You know, so often, I mean, a lot of what I spend my time doing is helping advisors delve into this stuff, right? So you've, you know, you've been a part of hundreds of those conversations. How often when we're talking to an advisor about a specific client, will they be saying things like, oh, he doesn't listen, he's really frustrating, you know, he wants, he wants all of this stuff, but then he's not, you know, complains about stuff, but then doesn't give you any of the stuff that you need. Um, how often do we hear things like that when we're delving into talking about individual clients? Oh, loads. I mean, it's in every client base, yeah, right? Everywhere. I mean, that's one of the things that we'll typically do when we're really looking to create some radical, you know, performance change within an advice firm is go through all of the client engagements and relationships. And, you know, there's consistently, I don't know, maybe 15 to, I'd say on average 15%. That's a guess. We should actually measure that. Um, we like numbers, so we should we should be tracking that. Um, 15%, sometimes more, very rarely less, and certainly some, some really, really good businesses less. But where you've got engagements like that, that's a massive cost to you. I mean, it costs you in every single way you could imagine. It costs you in your energy, which is your number one resource as an advisor. So... I mean, what's the general advice you would give to someone who's saying, you know, he doesn't listen, he's, you know, he does this, he does that. I mean, what kind of conversation should be, they be actually saying? Or what, sh what things should they actually be saying to the client? Well, mo most of the time we'll kind of ask the question and see what's what's been going on. And a lot of the time there's there's a conversation that hasn't been had, which is a very important conversation because a lot of the time you know, it's it's pretty much implicit. Like the client knows they might need to get some stuff back to you, but, you know, maybe you haven't reminded them or there hasn't been that extra contact point. So it, oh, it just slips away or, you know, you know you have to get back to the client, but they're, you know, they're a week late anyway. So it's whatever and it slips away and just kind of gets pushed to the side. So, yeah, it's it's kind of funny because what you're saying is the conversation hasn't been had. What's the conversation? Well, the one that you just had with me, what you just said to me, you shouldn't be saying it to me. Well, okay, you should, because that's part of the process we're going through, but you should be having that conversation with the client. Why haven't you sat down with them and gone, look, I need to have a chat to you about our relationship. Do you realize that it's very difficult working with you? This isn't working for us. We're not getting the value out of this exchange that we need in order to deliver the value that we bring to the table. 
Not only that, in order to deliver it in a way that fulfills us and gives us a reward. So this relationship is not currently rewarding for us. Now, that's not criticism of you, but I need to have a conversation with you about it because this is the way we work. This is the value we bring to the table. This is the change we make. We're focused on helping you to have a better life, to make better decisions, to be your partner. But if that's not what you want from us, that's okay. It doesn't have to be us. And do you realize that you work like this? And so you want everything, yet you're not giving us what we need in order to do our job well. We're very good at what we do, but we don't do it for everyone. So having that conversation with the client, so many advisors dance around it. They, d they just don't have the interventional conversation. Not just to get the client to pause and think about what they're doing, but to do it themselves. So I want to give a couple of examples, or at least one. And, um, you know, I'll, I'm sure during the course of, of exceptional advice, the, the show, <laughs> these examples are going to be used multiple times. And the reason they are is because they were absolutely pivotal moments for me in my journey of, you know, discovering the difference between good advice and exceptional advice. So the first one is when I bought a, I'd bought a book of clients. I bought a book of business in my financial planning firm. And one of the clients was actually a son-in-law of son-in-law and son. So both, both sides, the, you know, the daughter had referred, um, parents-in-law. And I'd met with this guy and he was a pretty senior project manager um, for you know, a large project development company that was doing some really major projects in, uh, in, in our state in conjunction with you know, governments, etc. <coughs> and you know, he's earning pretty decent dollars, um, but he'd just been engaged to do some insurances, right? So normally that wasn't, how we engage with people we just didn't engage with them to give product advice or anything like that it was we're going deep we're doing the whole lot but he'd been engaged and had received some of the advice from the advisor who was retiring his business that i'd bought does that make sense yep. kind of got the context there okay cool so i met him um and i met him with phil who you know was i was taking over his business um and you know, Phil and I are sitting there waiting and the client comes and Phil gets up and shakes his hand and does the introduction. And he'd already told this guy that, you know, I'd be there to meet him. And I've held my hand out, you know, to shake his hand because he shook Phil's hand and he doesn't shake my hand. Right? It was very awkward. Um, I mean, in my professional career, other than COVID 2020, right? Um it's been the only time where, you know, I've met, met someone like that and they haven't sh shaken my hand. Anyway, I thought, you know what, he's being rude. He's not addressing me. He's not looking at me. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I own the relation. You know, I'm going to own the relationship. I don't wait for someone to give me permission. And that's an important concept. One I teach a lot of junior advisors as they work their way up, they kind of wait for the relationship to come to them. They get frustrated with the senior advisor, not 
pushing the client away enough, which by the way, senior advisors, you know, need to get better at doing as, as well. This especially a big deal in accounting firms with the transition from being an accountant who does the back end to being a manager who works with a client to being, you know, more senior than manager. And a lot of accounting firms don't have a step between senior manager and partner, which doesn't make sense. That's a whole other topic. Um, and getting them to understand that you can't wait for someone to give you the respect and the ownership of the relationship. You, you have to be forceful and take it, right? You, you don't take no for an answer. It's a subtle thing. We won't, that's a whole topic for another podcast. Um, anyway, so I've, you know, I've dived in there. I've said, hey, look, these are the things we're going to need to do. I am taking over from Phil. And I was pretty forceful and gradually he's like, he couldn't just ignore me. Um, and Phil's saying, hey, look, <laughs> I'm out. I'm, I'm not looking after this. So if you want it done, then, uh, then Baz is your guy. So anyway, we went through the process and I was forceful enough that he, you know, agreed. Now, by the way, I want, I want everyone to understand this. In a normal client engagement, I would have been explicit and upfront. And certainly even now I would have handled this a different way right at, right at the outset. I would have called it right then. I would have said, look, I feel I've got an obligation to see this advice through because you've received some advice. I'm taking over the business. So I want to make sure that it's placed, but then have a conversation about it. All right. It was this guy that taught me this in the first place. So continuing that story, I, um, you know, I, I was reasonably firm, but I saw it through. So we're, we've written his insurance. And for those of you who are not familiar with, uh, with the insurance component, you've got to deal with underwriters, there's processing, there's medicals, you know, all kinds of stuff to do in order to get the protection in place for someone. And one of my client service team had to call him to, I can't even remember what it was about. It was something very trivial, like he had to get a blood test or he had to get a second blood test because the first one, you know, was inconclusive or something like that. It was mildly inconvenient, but not a big deal. And so I'm in my office, I've just finished a meeting and I hear a bit of a commotion outside and um, what's going on right this is, i normally don't have this much level of drama in my offices so i go outside and um kelly is is bawling her eyes out she's crying she's really upset and you know she's talking about leaving and all kinds of things i'm like hey come down and come and come and sit down and you know here's some tissues and i'll make you a cup of tea um anyway so she'd been talking to this client and talking to him about you know, whatever was taking place and he'd treated her terribly, you know, yelled at her and all kinds of stuff for no reason. And so this was a pivotal moment for me in the journey of being, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of being subservient to your clients Maybe you can, if you can think about a, a better word for this. So being passive, being subservient, you know, I always use this term, you you would have heard me say it a million times, or these, these phrases, are you joining a client business or, you, or are they joining yours? 
it was kind of a turning point in my understanding of that. And I'm like, who the F does this guy think he is, right? And, um, and I'd never kind of, you know, a client would be like, oh, I'm concerned about what you're doing in the work. You do. And I would professionally defend myself. I'd be like, well, let me justify this to you. Let me, let me answer your question directly head on. I'd always be, I guess, as I said, subservient to what the client's telling me instead of dealing with the issue head on, which most of the time isn't what they're actually talking to you about. So, but the reason that it was enough to push me over you know, over this other way of thinking was because he didn't direct it at me. If he was just directing it at me, he was before. He wouldn't shake my hand. You know, he was rude to me when I was going through the process with him. Okay, well, I can take it. That doesn't mean I should. So, but he did it to someone else, right? Someone that, you know, was on my team that I cared about. That's, That's not cool. So I went, that's it. And I called this guy up and I said, look, I don't know. I'm I'm concerned about you, right? Do you realize this is how you act? This has one of been one of the most unpleasant client experiences of my entire career. I'm trying to think, that was probably about ten years into my you know, my my business then, so not not super early on. Um, and I just gave him a free personality assessment, but it wasn't like I wasn't swearing at him or anything. I was being direct. I was being honest. And so the conversation was along these lines. You must be very unhappy in your life to be acting this way. People must not like you that are around you. This isn't doing you any favors. There must be lo- there must be some conflicts going on in your life internally. How can you have good relationships with your family if this is how you treat people who are trying to partner with you? And I just said, I want you to understand, we partner with our clients. We're exceptionally good at what we do, right? We help figure out where they're at and where they want to be. We're on their side to help them make better decisions, to nag them to get to where they want to be, to keep them accountable to their own choices, and to make sure that with our help, they get what they want out of life. With, without it, they probably don't. That's what we do. And because we're so good at it, we don't have to do it for everyone. And we don't. We couldn't. So I'm just going to let you know. It was I let it go, you being so rude to me. But I'm not going to let it go when you speak to one of my team that way. And I said, that's it. I don't want to hear from you again. I don't, we're not going to look after you. Okay. I feel like I've discharged my obligation. I'm going to write you a formal letter to outline this and why. And I'm going to call the insurance company and let them know so they can deal with you directly. Long story short, he, he called me again and again, and we had multiple conversations. And each time I said, he was like, please, I'm really sorry. You're right. I shouldn't have done it that way. Um, and I just set bigger obstacles. And I said to him, look, if we're going to continue, then we're going to sit down and work out what's going on in your life. I'm not prepared to work with you until you've actually sat down and talked this out and we've worked it out. And I said, so I'm going to do that in one meeting. One meeting. There's no cost. One meeting. And I said, but after that, if we're going to do this, then you're going to see it through to the end. 
anyway, we did. And we had that meeting and it was, I was very direct because I'd crossed that line now. So I wasn't, I wasn't being, there was no implicit. This was the terms. If you're coming to work with me, we're not going to leave this like it is. And long story short, he paid me to help him resolve these issues in his life. And this was a real clincher for me because we'd be, you know, sure we might have given him advice around insurances and investment products and whatever else. But would have that have actually changed his life as much as it did? Now, when I sold that business, um, something like another five or six years later, he took me out to lunch. Uh, he'd since become that he'd since carried out a management buyout and had become the CEO of this company. So he'd gone from earning a pretty decent salary to being a very wealthy man. He was hated and despised by the people in his workplace. And now he was the guy carrying out the management buyout that was their leader. Uh, he told me that his wife was going to leave him and he told me that his his own parents said to him, if she leaves you, we're sticking with her and we don't want to see you again. That actually said that to him. And he said, no one had ever pulled me aside and had a conversation like that. No one cared enough to sit me down and go, how do we work this out? Who are you? What the hell are you doing? So that was a major transform transformational moment in my advice career. So I guess all of that, and I know I've been talking for a long time here telling this story but i think it's a really important one and one that i think has really helped a lot of other advisors kind of get this concept so i hope it's been you know been of equal value to you you can't leave stuff unsaid if there's an issue in your relationship with a client then be explicit don't complain about them behind their back. Talk to them about it in front of their face. Deal with the issue. Same thing with your team members. Okay? You can't be an exceptional advisor and avoid conflict in your professional relationships. So that's kind of my... I mean, I've got other stories, but that was a that was a major turning point moment for me. I was actually that client that made me think about, well, what about all these other relationships we've got that are unproductive? Um, and so I actually sat, sat all my advisors down and said, that's it, we're going to call all the clients that are your least favorite and we're going to fire them. And in the process of firing them, we ended up having interventional conversations. And I think about 70% of those clients who I was calling to say, that's it, we're not working with you anymore. I ended up going through this direct conversation with them. We've got an issue with the relationship. It's not working for us. It can't work this way. And in talking to them, we actually, you know, ended up turning that around. And so they became decent clients and the relationship changed. So if I'm going to take all of this and bring it, kind of bring it to a partial head right now, because I know I've been talking for a while, Tristan, is you've got to be direct. You can't leave things on the table. And when it comes to your relationship with a client, 
you're the one who is supposed to set the terms of agreement, not your client. It's your business. And yet, how many of you are being directly explicit with what you expect from a client? I mean, saying to them up front, if you want to work with us, then you have to act like this or we're not interested. You have to do it this way. You have to allow this. And then if they breach that, you call them on it and say, hey, look, this isn't what we agreed to. How many of you are doing that that explicitly? And I can say not many. And I know because, I mean, how, how many of these conversations have we had with other advisors? So why do you think people avoid doing this, Tristan? I think avoiding conflict is kind of a natural thing for a lot of people. It It is uncomfortable. You know, it's not, it's not really what you want to be doing. You know, you're... It's almost like in that... It's almost like there's an implied, you know, way that the relationship should go between advisor and client. Like, it, it's almost expected. You go there, oh, you're after this, you want this. Okay, you know, we, we can do that. We can help you. We'd love to help you. But there's never a lot of... Okay, that's not what we do. That's not how we do it. We can help you do that, but you're going to do it our way and this is how we do it. Do you want that? It's almost like there's a there's a disconnect there. Yeah, so if I were to expand on that and say, well, actually, I think all of us have, uh, uh, I guess, a social programming that is to avoid mm, conflict, yeah. right? So we, we don't want to be booted out of the, you know, the tribe, so to speak. So... It's the fear of rejection. It's a pretty strong it's a pretty strong kind of driver for humans. So the fear of rejection doesn't have a place in exceptional advice. Cuz your job isn't to decide whether a client accepts or rejects you. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Your job is to give exceptional advice. And exceptional advice cannot happen if it comes attached to a fear of whether the person is going to take it on board or not. It can't. Because if it does, you hold yourself back. You're not honest enough. You don't give them a chance to actually... Now, this doesn't mean you're not doing it with compassion. It doesn't mean that you're not considered in your approach. It doesn't mean you just don't, you know hit them in the face with a sledgehammer with what you're trying to tell them. Sometimes, sometimes that may be the best option. Sometimes it may not be the best option, but you've tried it. And the point that I'm getting at here is be honing, honing your art as an advisor, honing your skill and helping take people to that next level. It's going to involve you making some mistakes. I mean, if I give an interventional advice to clients where, you know, they haven't taken action. Yeah, I have. Is there a risk involved? Of, well, yes, there is some risk involved. I mean, some risk involved in the sense that, you know, temporarily or for their own choices that someone may not want to deal with or confront these issues. They may get angry with you. And you have to learn how to gauge this and you have to test it and you have to do it with compassion 
learning to use your intuition as much as your intellect, but without a concern of that person rejecting you. That's the bit. So you can not push them because you perceive they're not ready and they won't listen, right? And I mean, when I'm working with with anyone, so much of the things that I need to show them, I won't do. Like I, it could be in the first the first deep meeting with a client and I can look at them and go, right, these are the real issues. This is where they're carrying conflict. This is where their belief patterns are causing them to view things in a certain way that are causing issues, right? And all of this I can almost see because I've just done it so many times. And we've gone into this is where they are like really deeply. This is where they are. This is where they really want to be. And if they were here, this is how much better they would be in their life. We're not talking monetary stuff. We're talking about the things that are behind that. And I can see clearly, okay, well, here's some issues. That doesn't mean as an advisor I can help them understand all of that in the first minute, right? So my point isn't that you're just going to see an issue and smack someone in the face with it. My point is that you'll never learn how to master this or to give exceptional advice if you're carrying the fear of rejection. And so, you know, if we, if we come back to what you said before, a lot of people seem to have a fear of conflict. Well, actually, I'd say any normal person has an ingrained fear of rejection. I think that's pretty normal. Yeah. Um, do you think advisors might actually have that as a generalization more than other people in society? No, I don't think so. But I think it might be amplified because, you know, for for a lot of people, you know, I, I'll liken it to starting at a new school, you know. Some people do, some people don't. Um, or, you know, you change your jobs, you're trying to fit in and stuff like that. I feel like advisors just have more, or anyone for that matter, has more of an opportunity for that to come up. And it kind of amplifies it because they're going through it so often. So they have more more chances to experience it and go through it. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting question because as I was asking you, I was contemplating the answer myself. Um, I, I think amplified is the right mm. word. So... So if we think about it this way, who's drawn to become an advisor? There's got to be a certain, you know, set of fulfillment triggers and personality traits. And don't get me wrong, there's, you know, lots of different personalities amongst advisors, that's for sure. They're not all the same. I can testify to that. But there's a commonality of desire to be of service. Mm, yeah. So the self-worth component which is always, it's always self-worth issues that are driving us to take actions counter to our best interest. Always, when you get to the heart of it, always, always, always. And when we help clients, you know, dig into the emotional context of clients and, you know, master these things, I'm always reminding them. It's look for the, look for the self-worth issue. Look for how it translates into that. So if you're an advisor, then being rejected for a client is probably the ultimate translation of self-worth. Would that be fair? Yeah, definitely. Like in terms of how you're actually going to experience it in your... So one, 
it's your profession and your career. So how you do it, that is obviously going to give you feedback on your value. And having a client reject your input is kind of the pinnacle of that, right? Mm-hmm. Except it's n- except. I mean, that's that's if it's just implied. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that's why we're making this explicit for you in this episode. So I like the synchronicity. Did you see what I did there? <laughs> we're we're making it explicit for you. This is not the measure of your self worth. The measure of your self-worth as an advisor is in you being the best version of yourself and giving your clients the best chance to have the best version of themselves or their life. And each of you should have a slightly different definition for what it is that you're seeking to help clients achieve because you're different and what fulfills you is different. So you re- the, the more explicit you can get in identifying these things and honing it with yourself the better your client engagement will be every time. Every single time we've worked our way through that with people and they've got clearer on it, the client engagement gets better. I was just showing you the text message from a client just before. Right? He's pretty stoked. Um, you know, just signed up, his biggest client ever. Um, and I texted him back and said, this is exactly how it's supposed to roll. It's going to keep getting better from here. Now, this is a really, this is a really good advisor already. Very successful business, but it's just going to the next level, and it all comes about because he's owned his self worth. He's been explicit with himself. He's let go of the fear of rejection. He's helped be explicit with himself in reframing what that ultimate measure of self is. So his conversations with clients are now more direct, more authentic. More, radi- more radical candor, as you know, we talked about before. So, you know, you want to be a better advisor. You want to be a better professional. You want to be better in your life. Just learn to be more honest. Be more direct with people. Don't imply stuff. Don't mince words. Don't talk around things. That doesn't mean don't have a bedside manner. Yeah. In your, I mean, you've seen me go very, very deep with lots and lots of people over the years, Tristan. Have you ever got the sense that someone, like, I mean, sure, there's people that might not have chosen to engage with that, but did you ever get the sense that I wasn't being compassionate or caring in the approach that I'd taken with people? No, no. But I also think that in in being able to evaluate a lot of them, it would be very easy to miss out, you know, just a couple of key context points and have it come across that way. So it, it, it definitely, the, I think the more you see of it, the more you're able to, to pinpoint, you know, the bits that you need to round out to make sure people get that context and don't take it the wrong way. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. And this is kind of what I was saying before, right? If you're doing it without fear, Right, without that fear of rejection, that doesn't mean you're always going to get it right. But you've got to let go of that and accept that you, like, may, someone may pick that up. Someone may take it that way. Someone may reject you. And in fact, clients should be rejecting you. Because if they're not, then there's no way you're doing your best job with the rest of your clients. Right? There can't be a measure of 
I've pleased everyone. I mean, if you're pleasing everyone, you're not doing anything meaningful enough with the others. Right? So my first rule of social media is if you're doing it right, then some people are not going to like you and that's a good thing. So if you're putting content out there and, you know, it's just like today, people are tuning in and listening. Maybe someone's just tuned into their first episode and they're listening to me speak today and they're like, who the hell is this? Whatever, insert expletive. I'm trying to get better at not swearing. <laughs> right? I'm Sure, I've had plenty of people say that to me in the past. Maybe you're not gelling. Maybe it doesn't resonate. Maybe you don't agree with what I'm saying. I mean, often that will be because I'm pressuring or pushing on things that you have different perspectives on. Fine. I'm okay with that. And if that's the case, why would, why would I want to do business with you? Right? It doesn't make sense. And the same thing goes with clients. So being more radically yourself and being more honest as an advisor is just changes everything. So I got a question for you, Tristan. When do you think you've stopped? When do you, when do you reach the pinnacle of radical candor? Do you think that's possible? No. Probably not. Not ever, I don't think. Uh, that's a a wise observation for I can say this now a young man. <laughs> Back like Back in my Yeah, get off my day. kids, get off my lawn. <laughs> Uh, yes, the old man of advice. I mean, that was one of the reasons why Tristan and I decided to 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 do the show together. Wanted to get the different perspective. I I also wanted to help him grow in sharing his opinion publicly. I think that really helps to clarify, you know, your own perspective on things. And yes, I know I've been monopolizing the conversation as I will. Um, as he grows, that will change. I'm absolutely sure. Um, and as he starts to insert his own flavor and viewpoints, well, that's the, that's growth. I think that's mentoring. Um, and I've asked him to help me to, to get out all of these ideas that are in my head, right. To get them in front of you, to share, to share the stuff that we really go deep on, you know, one-to-one -one with clients that, you know, we have to charge for, but to get it out in public and to, to really get this conversation going. So, yeah, good observation. It Look, honestly, if you ever think that you have become an exceptional advisor already, then you failed. That's the whole point of this show. If you think I'm doing it because I'm the master and the guru, then you're missing my, my context. I'm doing it because I'm on the journey and I want to share it. I think that's really important. And the other thing about this is a lot of this psychology, like of, you know, fear of rejection and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, it's reinforced by society all the time, isn't it? Yeah, regularly. So everywhere you go, there's, you know, there's going to be subconscious programming for everything that you're doing. And so if you're not disciplined about it, you can go from, it's like, I mean, how many times have we been in conversations with business owners? Oh yeah, we were doing that and it worked really well. I don't know why we stopped. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why we stopped. Um, I can't remember who told me this version of it. 
it works so well we stop doing it. I can't tell you how many times I've encountered that in talking to business owners. I don't know how many business owners I've sat down with over the over the last 25 years. It's it's a lot. But almost all of them as we start digging into where they're at and what they're doing come out with multiple it works so well we stop doing it moments. And uh, I'm not going to lie. There's stuff that we should be doing that we've done in the past as well, right? Oh, yeah. So the same thing goes when it's, it's about your engagement with a client and you being explicit with them. You have to be disciplined with it. You can't just listen to one, you know, one episode of exceptional advice and be sitting in with Tristan and I and then all of a sudden you've got it nailed for life because I haven't got it nailed. I review my engagements with clients all the time. I'm I'm always thinking, oh my God, you missed that again. You didn't do that. Oh, geez, you would have thought you, you learned that lesson. Um, it's one of the reasons that, you know, we record meetings. Okay. I don't, I mean, I don't do it hundreds of times a year, but I'd certainly rewatch, you know, meetings that I've had with clients at least a dozen times a year. And sometimes if I've got a particular focus on developing myself, I might, you know, go back and watch a dozen at a time. What a massive difference this makes. Because you, you'll never be perfect at this stuff. But being explicit, having radical candor is just absolutely paramount to being an exceptional advisor. Okay, is there any other things that you think we should kind of bring up for our conversation today? I mean, honestly, as we've talked our way through it, I'm like, wow, there's another episode, there's another yeah, episode. Other I episode. mean, honestly, we can go so deep on this stuff because it is deep and the nuance is important. And so just listening to us talking about it, it's helping me. I mean, just us talking about it is going to help me to be more of an exceptional advisor. So anything else you think we should... One, one thing, and I saved it for last because it's one of my favorites. So I, I did want to touch on mental smoothies and <laughs> maybe get like one quick example from you on that. Mental smoothies. Well, um, you know, it's funny because I feel like this is the second time in two days I've kind of talked about these things, which which it is. I, I did a did a webinar event for XY Advisor in Australia yesterday. Um, and this was kind of a core theme of that as well. So to talk about a mental smoothie, I think I need to talk about cognitive dissonance, mm-hmm. right? And ex- being explicit is also super important for how it countervenes the experience of cognitive dissonance. So most of you will have a pretty good idea of what this is, but let's just cover it anyway. So cognitive dissonance is essentially in the way that I perceive it or see it. You imagine an experience to be one way, right? And because you've imagined it or someone's explained it to you, it could be either or, and that's very important in this, but you have a perception about how something is going to happen. And because you have a perception or a preconceived idea about how something is going to happen, how it will take place or how someone should act, it's the same thing then you build up an expectation. 
Is that fair? Yep. This is actually the most detailed definition of this I've given. That's pretty cool. So that expectation is now formed and it's solidified as an attachment. So you've now got your own emotional attachment, mental, emotional, energetic attachment to something there was a preconceived idea about how something would take place. All right. So when you have an attachment to how something should take place and the deeper the attachment is and it doesn't take place, what do you experience? Cognitive dissonance. Okay, so what do you experience in terms of, let's get a bit more visceral on it. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, let's, I'm trying to think of an example that might, <laughs> that might, might fit for you. Um, can I talk about your nerdy habits? <gasps> you would never. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's all right, we're, we're definitely nerds here. Um, so Tristan likes keyboards. Right? Not, not musical ones. No, no, uh, computer keyboards. Um, and so he has an affinity for keys and key switches and whatever. Um, so you've ordered a new keyboard. It's been hyped up, right? Yep. The, the switches have been described to you as being, you know, the perfect combination of the things that you like. Right? And you're imagining it and you've been waiting for it. And it gets to you and it's just crap. So how do you feel? Sad. Sad. Ha- More sad that I've, I don't know. I, I th- when I'm thinking about it, I'm, I'm kind of in two minds. On one hand, you know, I'm, I'm sad. I'm kind of bummed. It's been hyped up. I didn't get it. Fe- feeling very unfulfilled as far as e- ex- expectations go and ha- having a cool new toy to play with. But on the the other hand, I'm like, cool. I'll you know I might take take it apart, have have a look at the good things that are in it, and know what I could take out of it and use that it's good, and what maybe is not so good that I'll avoid next time. All right, so um, you've actually done two things. <laughs> two things there. One, you've answered my question about some of the feelings. They're going to be negative feelings, right? Yeah. So some people get angry, some people get frustrated, some people feel sad, some people feel depressed. Um, And that affects your emotional state. And your emotional state, so emotion is energy in motion, right? Yep. So your emotional state affects your energetic output. And remember, what's the most valuable resource you have as an advisor? Energy. So it's important you understand this. But the same thing with your clients. If you're going to help them to achieve the best things in their life, then translate this as how you're affecting their energy. So you getting clarity with them and giving them a vision for what they're going to accomplish and a pathway to do that, that creates alignment and removes internal cognitive dissonance, which means they have more energy and helps them actually push forward to achieve what they're seeking, right? So cognitive dissonance is, is really the description of the mental component, I think, but it's broader than just cognition because it becomes energetic. It becomes emotional. Is that fair? It's, it's almost just the, the starting point. Yeah. So in this case, the trigger event is, is a mental one. So you've imagined one thing, you get another, you created an attachment to what you had in your mind. It doesn't deliver. There's tension. There's internal tension. 
what you visualized and your experience is different, even if you didn't care about it, you didn't care about, you know, what, what it was like the keyboard, um, you still painted a picture for it. And so it's still creating a tension between what's in your mind and what eventuates. Yeah. So being explicit is super important with your clients to help fill the void of that. So rather than letting their imagination determine what they think an experience will be like when it relates to you, Unless, of course, you're me and you like creating cognitive dissonance with clients because it helps you, <laughs> helps set you up. <laughs> okay, so I'm maybe giving a little bit too much away here. Um, but I wouldn't advise that for most of you, right? So most of you looking to remove cognitive dissonance. Certainly sometimes in the exceptional advice process, you may want to create it as you're helping a client, you know, push through an obstacle. But let's, let's kind of circle back around. So one way you can do that is to create what we've affectionately termed, you know, mental smoothies. Um, uh, do you want to give an example of one? Um, the one we mentioned either last episode or a couple of episodes ago was just a, um, a how to get to the office video. Yeah, I mean, it's simple, right? So there's an example of people don't really care about what the end outcome is. Yeah. But it's a stressful one. So when you're going to visit an office for the first time, you know, where are you parking? How are you going? Is this the right place? Is it the right doorway? Did I press, did I, am I going to the right lift bank? Is that the right word? Uh, <laughs> I think so. I was just thinking about last week when we were going to visit um, a law firm client of ours and, you know, I always forget which lift bank it is. Um, and so, yeah what it's going to be like when you get there. Do you have to buzz the door? All of these things. And so people visualize it and they don't get it. It's different. So it creates mental tension. They've sat down with you for the first time. And then the first half an hour of the meeting, you don't realize it, but you're just ironing out the energetic dissonance that's been created by that experience. And so a very simple thing that can, how much value is this going to add? Look, it depends on how much trauma they have in the journey. Some clients, it's, you know, they'll sit down with you and tell you off because, oh, you know, I went to the car park, like you said, and this didn't work and whatever else. You get Anyway, you get my point. How much difference will it make on a whole? Look, in the first meeting, it's probably going to give you, I'm picking a number here, 5% benefit. 5% is not insignificant, especially when you could have created multiple mental smoothies before your client comes in for their first meeting. So how to get to the office, what the meeting's going to be like, what kind of people you are. Um, so mental smoothies are ways for you to build into your client engagement mechanisms that will help you smooth the cognitive dissonance gap. And I love scaling things. I like, you know, I like talking about philosophy and nuance and, you know, for me, it's all about the engagement with a client, but that doesn't mean you can't make that better by using things like technology and video in particular. So we love using video as a mental smoothie tool. Okay, but it could just be, uh, you know, and I mean, most firms will send an email with a map. Uh, we're talking, you know, we're in 2020 at the moment, so COVID's now pushed firms to use Zoom a lot more which is great. I've been 
nagging you guys for a decade or more on using video meetings with clients. But what if your client hasn't used Zoom before, if that's what you're using? I mean, there's a lot of different platforms. I think Zoom's probably the most common at this point in time. So what happens if they haven't used it before and you're creating cognitive dissonance? So it can be very simple to send a you know a video guide on what it's like to use Zoom for the first time. When so going back back in the early days of starting to use video meetings with our clients and we were looking to you know roll that out. So we're talking yes, this is the get off my get off my lawn, I'm so old. Right. It's not actually that long ago. Um getting clients to switch over to using Skype meetings, right? So Skype video was pretty much the only, I mean, there was other things, but it was the most developed and the most commonly accessible. Um, and so getting our clients to use Skype, no one was doing it then, but we still made a decision to move clients to that. So creating mental smoothie was a big part of it. So we went, we filmed some clients talking, you know, we got them set up, we got them doing Skype meetings with their grandkids overseas. And, you know, we filmed some interviews with these people. We filmed them talking. Um, and so, you know, that goes back to my first full-time videographer, Dennis. G'day, Dennis. Um, I have to send this one to him now just so I can say, hey, dude, I gave you a shout-out. Um, yeah, I mean, how many of you have full-time videographers in your advice firm? Well, how many of you have become videographers yourself? Anyway, that's a... That's a whole other line of questioning. So we did that a long time ago. Um, and so the reason I am just brought that up as an example is because back then it was such a big deal and it was big cognitive dissonance to ask a client to switch to a video meeting. So what we did was we built a whole change management plan to get our clients on board with this. I just painted a couple of examples. So we did a survey, a questionnaire. We asked, you know, leading questions. The question was a statement, you know, would you like us to investigate this? Then we tested it, we filmed it, we sent that to people, we, then we painted a picture of how this was going to be of value to them, how they could use it. We wanted to get our clients at the forefront and get them to overcome their fear. So we gave a value hypothesis for video meetings and then we showed them videos of other clients doing it and saying it was super easy and awesome. That's a mental smoothie. And there's a million ways that you can build that into your business. Another mental smoothie is just to tell clients this is what to expect okay are you saying to your clients up front and explicitly this is what i expect of you not just here's what you can expect when you come to our office or from the meeting and i think this is where i wanted to finish up the conversation because i think it's the most important part of being explicit with a client but also the most underdeveloped by advisors if there's any area of, a, of an advisor's engagement where i see them consistently underperforming it's in how well they've explicitly stated their expectations to a client in other words we're good at what we do this is the reason we do it here's the value we provide here's the the value benefit to our clients lives we're good at what we do we don't do it for everyone 
We do it for people who are like this, who treat us like this. And if you want that kind of value from us, this is what we expect from you. This is what you have to agree to. Okay, so going back to that example we did earlier on with the worst client who, by the way, became the best client. He referred some of the, the best client, other best clients to the business as well. So worst client became best client. But he also taught me to be upfront about these things with clients at the start of it. If you're going to work with us, then this is how our relationship has to be. Is that okay? Do you agree to that? And if you don't, that's fine. I'm, I'm out. And if you do to agree to it, then we're going to be accountable to that. You're going to be accountable to that. Okay. So being explicit with clients, it's a, I mean, there's so many different things we could explore, other examples, and I'm looking forward to bringing in, you know, other guests and delving into this and especially case studies on this stuff. It's just so deep and so important to what makes exceptional advice. Being explicit, radical candor, moving the subconscious into alignment with the conscious. All right, we'll, we'll do another episode on being explicit with fees, I think, and, and yeah, value, yeah. fees and value. Like I wanted to tap into that today, but there's just too broad a, a topic of conversation. So being explicit with clients, I think we've covered all of the, you know, the broad brush stuff. Be explicit with your expectations. Create mental smoothies for them. And in order for this to happen, you're going to have to get past your, your own fear of rejection. I think that was my key takeouts from this. Was there, was there any kind of other things that you took out of it that you kind of wanted to say? That's definitely the main thing. The only other thing is, I think, doing not doing it for yourself. So kind of take yourself out of the equation. It, it's not something you should be focusing on. One, one thing we unfortunately don't have time to explore that I wish we I could have thought of earlier was, um, it's it's really none of your business what other people think of you. But also, it's really none of your business what you think of yourself at at the same time. So I'll I'll note that one down for. Awesome. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I have to say, um, it's good actually having some of my favorite personal quote, you know, my own quotes being restated by you. That's, <laughs> it's kind of somewhat rewarding. Um, they did stick after all. Hey, no, I just, just, yeah. Um, so I mean, it's a good point and one that really helped me, you know, it's none of your business, what other people think of you. Everyone's heard that and it's pretty powerful, but it, yeah, it's just not enough. It's none of your business what you think of you. Like, honestly, it's what you think of you half the time that's getting yourself in, in trouble. Yeah. No, it's just your business whether you're being the best version of yourself. Not what you think of it because of it. Just move forward. It kind of comes back to you know me asking you the question before when I said, well, how do you feel when you have cognitive dissonance? Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave on... Leave on this note because I don't want to leave it unsaid. I want to make it explicit because it kind of went by and it was right there. I want to turn it from being an implied important bit of value that you gave people to being one that's explicit. So when I asked you, you talked about I feel sad, you know, the keyboard's not what I imagine it was hyped. But then, and I'm adding some different words here to it to reframe it, but then 
I reframe it to myself and I take the positive out of it. Mm, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that I love, love about working with you, Tristan, is your perspective and your own resilience. It's super important that you reframe all of your memories, though there's no such thing as a negative thing unless you allow it to be. There's just an experience. And you can choose for it to be negative. And if you let it become negative and it then becomes part of your memory recall pattern through your amygdala, then expect that to affect all of your behavior and decision-making forever. This is the power of your, power of your memories and how you, what you take out of the events you experience. So I think that was really, really important. And, you know, delving into that as a topic and how to get your clients to undo a lifetime of framing memory perceptions in a certain way. I think that's a whole area for us to delve into. It's not that hard. It's not that complicated. I mean, there's a lot to it. You certainly, and this is why I keep saying, you know, when I talk to advisors about helping create behavioral change for their clients. Oh, but do I need to do a life coaching course? I'm not a psychologist. Honestly, advisors who have been doing this for a period of time, a better place than anyone else I can possibly imagine to help actually achieve, you know, life and behavioral change with their clients. No, you already have the experience. You just don't know it. You just haven't given yourself permission to do it. You just haven't framed it appropriately. What you do is you help clients take a step back and frame, frame their decisions objectively, frame where they really want to go, and then get them to focus on a step at a time. And you can do that in anything when it comes to helping someone achieve what they want out of life. That's a skill set and it's one that you've developed. It's why I'm so passionate about helping advisors move from being good to being exceptional. Because through that, we can change the world. And on that note, thanks everyone for joining us. I hope you've taken some value out of what we've done today. We're going to delve into this a lot more. And as I said, we're going to have some guests come in and talk about all of these different issues. So please, please help us out. Make it worthwhile for us creating this content for you. We're not asking for you know, for a reward, we're doing it to be of service and to share these things. And all we need you to do is to give us some gratitude by engaging with our material. So please make sure that you've subscribed on our YouTube channel, on your favorite podcast platforms, and that you actually engage with those things as well. So for example, on YouTube, make a comment, like the video. Every single thing you do there gives us a reward. It makes it worthwhile for us to engage. Share your ideas with us. We'd love to hear from you as well. If you've got some perspective and you've got some ideas about upcoming shows, then let us know. We'd love your input. So thanks, everyone. We look forward to seeing you again next time. Cheers. Bye.